Welcome back to Cooper Duper, Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jessica. I'm Mikey. And we are joined today uh, by a podcaster, a professional debunker, a guy who has apologized to Scientologists, Ross Blotcher. Welcome, Ross. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Wait, I apologize to Scientologists? I just have, like... <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what that meant either. So, um, Ross's podcast is Ona, Ross, and Carrie. He and his partner, Carrie Poppy, um... They dig into what's what's your tagline? You do the tagline. We we investigate uh, fringe science, paranormal, spiritual, supernatural, anything that falls outside the range of what uh, science tells us about life, and we try it out our, ourselves. And so, for a little while, he and Carrie tried to join Scientology, and there were just a lot of recordings of Ross being unfailingly polite to Scientologists who were throwing him out of various places. And I found that very charming. (laughs) And I think that says a lot about you as a person. It was just, you know, it was confusing. All the signs said, all are welcome, but apparently I wasn't. Yeah, it's too bad. Um, Okay, so, Ross, I know you just watched Twin Peaks for the first time last year with your son. Yeah, you know, I'd always kind of meant to. People would talk about it. And Mm -hmm. uh, actually, uh, it was was the first time for both of you or just? Right. Yeah, that's the fun thing about having children is, you know, you can try to find age appropriate things and make them watch the important films and then you get to watch them alongside. And uh, so there's many TV series that we've watched in their entirety, including Twilight Zone and Wonder Years and Quantum Leap. And uh, actually, it was the podcast that kind of got me curious about this because we had run into at a UFO conference this uh, guy who's obsessed with owls and their spiritual significance and their connection to aliens. And everybody kept sending us little uh, notes about the owls are not what they seem. (laughs) And I thought, oh, I need to finally watch this show. And uh, so, so yeah, my son and I sat down and watched it together and all of its uh, delightful oddity. Interesting episode to jump in on this with then too, because this episode is very, like the paranormal, like the whole Project Blue Book stuff, like yeah, it, it's really starting to dive into that that realm of Twin Peaks rather than like the Bob centric who killed Laura Palmer mm-hmm. demon esque paranormal stuff. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, this is a rich episode. A lot happens in this one. Yeah, we've been talking about you know we we contacted you and a few other people about coming on because we're like okay this is where kind of the second season sort of starts to fall off. But so far every episode we watch has had I, at least. Some. Yeah, I think having watched this several times now, as I have you fewer times, but still quite a few, like we get into the, I just, I just, you just write off certain episodes. It's like, okay, it gets bad for four or five episodes, then they write the ship or whatever. But like, once you start knowing what to just look past, because you know, in the end, it doesn't matter. And pulling out the good stuff. It's, yeah. There's some really good stuff in some of these episodes. Russ, we I, have- I think... The biggest problem is that, you know, it never wraps up any of these questions that it opens. And so Mm -hmm. it it feels like you're getting new information because they start asking more questions, but they're still not tying any loose ends. Yeah, it 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 feels like it kind of is like lost in that. Mikey and I just rewatched Lost that like they keep piling questions and questions and questions. So there's like mysteries to be solved. But then you're like, wait, what what happened like three episodes ago? Are we not going to talk about that? Are we done? The devil. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, I think that just speaks to a certain, like, distribution of abilities, like, 
Lost, I think, falls under a similar thing where they're really good at setting up the world and mm -hmm. the atmosphere and introducing new ideas, but not necessarily paying everything off. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That seems to be Twin Peaks's. If, if Twin Peaks has a problem, that might be its problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any? We've been talking about our various episode two, or excuse me, season two subplots that we hate. Mikey hates Little Nicky. Little Nicky's bad. I mean, James, the, the whole James and Evelyn stuff is awful. Did you even remember the James and Evelyn subplot when it came up? Did you remember who that blonde woman was when you watched it for the first time in a year? Um, no, I guess. Well, I <laughs> yeah. mean, I I did, but like I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's forgettable. Yeah. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, un, like unimportant to anything. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, yeah, and like the whole Leo still being like <laughs> them keeping okay. Leo at their yeah. house. And I, I know it's to create tension and everything, but it's so frustrating. It's like, why are you doing this? I, it's like a, it's like a perfect resolution to a create tension, b have something to do with a character who was really important in the very the first few episodes that like we don't know what to do with her anymore now that he's not a suspect. Yeah. So let's just make him a, you know, catatonic and throw him in a wheelchair in a corner and fine. Well, also, it, it's so scary. It's super yeah, scary. Yeah. It's really? like, why are you doing this? The stupidest thing ever. He's going to wake <laughs> up. Yeah. Um, we also saw Donna pop in for the first time in a minute, this episode for like yeah. 30 seconds. Like she's just sort of, been wandering in the ether big, of Twin Peaks. Big Ed and Norma are back, which we don't see them a lot <sighs> I lately. Love big Ed and Norma, Norma so much. All right, so um, so this is episode season two, episode twenty, which we have Ross. We have not overall sure. episode twenty, season two, episode thirteen. Right. Okay. Right? Oh yes, yes, yes. You're right. Yeah, because yeah, the um, first season was only six episodes. Eight, 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 eight. If you, including the pilot. So we oh, have the, okay the blu-ray box set and so instead of saying see I, listen not to brag but mikey has spent a lot of money on it's, various forms it's of the, Twin Peaks. it's like the fourth version of twin peaks i've owned like he had the vhs and the vhs and the dvds and there was like the extended oh, wow. collection and now they just released that's, like the super box set blu-ray and so i got it got that too yeah yeah, well, that's devotion, and I'm impressed. Now, is there any like controversy with different releases of the series? Did they edit anything out or change anything? Not. Uh, that's a good question. Not that I'm aware of. It's all there. I know there's a handful of shots throughout the series that they couldn't find the original negative for. So, like the the Blu-ray transfers, like you just have one shot that's standard def, the, and it kind of looks like garbage. All but the it's, previously on weren't weren't translated to like any previously. Oh, on yeah. Some of the, yeah, the previously SD. on uh, stuff like that. But like, so there's things, some things like that. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's all the same. And then usually you're buying the new sets and stuff for additional behind the scenes stuff mm. or this featurette mm. or this Would you think thing. At some point it's all out there. Like it's fun. Yeah, it, I know. It's just, it's, they're having it all in one place is nice. Yeah. yeah. They're capitalizing on nerds like me who just, yeah. I want to have the new one. And I want to have this one too. This and one it was all shot from this one was two episodes. You get the pilot and you get part eight from season three in 4k. Mm. So but it was all shot for a TV, right? There's no like widescreen version that they've been hiding. No. In fact, the, that's kind of one of the benefits of these is that they, 
like the Netflix releases and stuff, they, they do widescreen, but it's just all they did is crop off the top and the bottom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. So it's like, yeah, like it wasn't, it was shot for television yeah. in a four by three ratio. So if you're watching it widescreen, it's because you're missing stuff. No, so, that's no good. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. The purpose. Oh, we should mention that Ross is an animator. So if he and Mikey like start talking about things I don't understand, which has happened already, we're living it right now. <laughs> They're both smarter than me about all of this. <laughs> but I brought that up to say um, when we're trying to find our episode that we're watching today, they just number them like this was episode 20. And, and, so it, we- and it, but does it say, is it, <laughs> is, it the pilot- is it pilot and then one, two, three, four, five, or is pilot number one? And I still don't know. That's they because every that's the problem with every set, every Netflix release or Hulu release or when it was on Bravo, <laughs> they all have a different numbering system. Yeah. Well, for following Star Wars, the pilot episode is episode four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Honestly, that if he went back and made like the 2017 season, like episode negative 14, like <laughs> I would be pretty on board. I mean, with that. part part eight. Yeah. Is- Prequel. Yeah. Yep. Um, so all that's to say is like every time we start to watch another episode, it's like, okay, I know we're s- the last one I edited was season two, episode 12. So we're on season two, episode 13, but that's how it's numbered on the D on the Blu-ray. So it's just a whole, one of the reasons I, I relate today. It's, it's, I get, I get episode, you know, this disc has 19, 20, 21, 22. And then each one has a thumbnail. So I have to just like look at the thumbnail and see from my own memory of like, did we see this particular shot of Horn <laughs> yeah. in Civil War garb? I don't remember because I know we introduced the Civil yeah. War stuff last week, but was he actually? So yeah, it's a little annoying, but here we are. Um, so Rob, <laughs> did you? I assume you watched it on Netflix or whatever, or some sort of streaming service. Yeah, we watched it on Netflix. So a thing you wouldn't have seen on Netflix is the Log Lady intros. Have you heard of these? <laughs> um. Well, I remember Log Lady. There's Log Lady intros. What's yeah, that? So when um, after the show originally aired and it's an entire in it in its entirety, um, a couple years later, Bravo did a rerun of it. And prior to each episode, David Lynch wrote a Log Lady intro, which is just <laughs> uh, Catherine Coulson plays a Log Lady holding her log. Delivering a short monologue straight to camera of Whoa, really what? things, and they're fantastic. But they were all written by David Lynch, as though they're supposed to be some sort of insight into what to think about in this episode. And some of them are like, "Yeah, this is this is spot on. This is exactly like I get it." And then sometimes they're really abstract. I mean, they're always really abstract, but sometimes more than others. Um, but it's it's been looked at as sort of a way where David Lynch is trying to, you know, cause he wasn't always involved as much as he could have been. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of him like now, now watch this episode. Like I'm going to try to synthesize this episode for you. Yeah. I like give you something okay. to think about and, and it's, they're interesting. So I always read them at the top of the episode because they are generally, Sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand what she's saying. She's talking about Mm -hmm. light and dark and balance. This one is as follows. Uh, My husband died in a fire. No one can know my sorrow. My love is gone. Yet I feel him near me. Sometimes I can almost see him. 
At night, when the wind blows, I think of what he might have been. Again, I wonder. Why? When I see a fire, I feel my anger rising. This was not a friendly fire. This was not a forest fire. It was a fire in the woods. This is all I am permitted to say. So did that really unlock the meaning of the episode? You get it now, right? <laughs> that seems uh, that seems pretty cryptic as far as those go. Well, A, I feel robbed that I didn't get to see these intros. Yeah, and bro. B, did they refer to them as log lines? God damn it, Ross. <laughs> uh, I think they should refer to them as dialogue. Uh, yes. <laughs> A monologue. <laughs> monologue. Monologue is better. Monologue Nerds. is better. You're right. You're right. Look at that. We all contributed. So, um, and so this episode was by Harley Payton, who is a, you know. Um, He's one of the few people who's been all the way through a major player. Yeah. So wait, did did they have the actress playing Log Lady deliver these? uh Oh, fun. Oh, I want to find all these. They they pretty pretty clearly just like recorded them all in a day and then she'll like slightly change her sweater or something but like they're all just give her a new sweater yeah yeah exactly they're they they're all crazy but they're they're great yeah yeah and and sometimes they really are like you can understand what lynch is trying to say and sometimes it's just like i mean there were words for sure do you have a take on this one um i i mean we know that what we know that uh, Colonel Colonel Major Major Briggs said he was in a by a fire in the woods. That was the last thing he remembered. Well, yeah, they were. He was sitting by the fire with Cooper. That's a good transition, right? Because that's how the episode begins. Him yeah. coming out of the fire, and he disappeared and came back in the fighter pilot stuff. Oh, you know what? So she says her husband died in a fire. There's a lot of kind of jibber jabber online that the log is her, the soul of her husband. In the yeah, log. so that's that's a. They, they kind of hinted that a lot in some of the, the books, the secret history of Twin Peaks and stuff like that. Um, mm. The idea is that either the the soul of her, so her husband died on their wedding night or the next day. I think it was like, but he was a, he's a, a firefighter and he was pulled into a forest fire and he died. Um, and I believe it was on their wedding day. And oh. yeah, Take exactly. the day off on your wedding day. Tragic um, backstory. Exactly. Um, but so the idea is either the spirit or whatever, or soul of her husband is in this log that she pulled from that forest fire mm-hmm. or somehow the log, she can speak to her husband through the log. Like it's like a communication device of some sort. So when she says my log has something to say, ostensibly it's her husband. It's to some extent. Yeah. From the other side. Exactly. Communicating That's with the her thought. via the log. Interesting. Okay, yeah, because it seemed like she got genuine information from the log. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know. So, um, so, so you know, it's legit. There's nothing to debunk there. That's that's. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'm not questioning that at all. Um, yeah, w- one thing I love about Twin Peaks is that you know, in most series, you might have one really quirky, weird character with some standout feature, but in Twin Peaks, it's every character has something just really strange about them. And then uh, Truman, who's the one straight man in mm-hmm. Twin Peaks. <laughs> but his name is Harry S. Truman. So you're like, wait, what? Is he named after the president? Is Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Very good. All right, I'm going Because, to- yeah, like, thinking about, like, that age doesn't coincide where, like, he was named after. 
he would have been alive. When was Truman president, Ross? You, you seem like a person who knows that. Yeah, well, let's see, Harry S. Truman was president in the 50s? Yeah. Um, all, so I, like, all, all I remember is that S is not short for anything. That's just his middle name is the letter S. Like That's Homer J. Simpson? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so theoretically, they're alive at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, oh, we were it's just a coincidence. We really like Harry S. Truman and his policies, so we named our child after him. They both just had that name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it feels like it's like the office space, but like, why should I change my name? He's the one who sucks. <laughs> nineteen forty five to nineteen fifty three. I had to look that up yeah. just so I don't get emails. Perfect. Yeah. So <laughs> don't worry, yeah. not that many people listen to this, so they won't they won't don't get at me. Okay. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Um, a mysterious object rotates out of star- out of a star field. Flames appear, and Major Briggs sits on a stone seat in the woods. He says he remembers stepping from the flames, a vague shape in the dark, then nothing else until he found himself at the two-day-old campsite. Um, I loved this shot. Oh yeah, it's it's like super green. Yeah, like they like the colors are just super saturated, but like also muted. Yeah, for a show that's usually orange and red and brown, for them to allow that kind of green is pretty unusual. It made me think, and it's not even like a stone seat. It looks like a like a throne or something. Yeah, Yeah. I man, I feel like this time around, Major Briggs has been like my number one character. Did you watch season three also, Ross? No, you know I haven't. Is should I watch it? It's very different, but I think it's incredible. Is it like watching Godfather three or is it like, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's almost like watching a different show. You okay. Characters. Yeah. You have a lot of the same characters, but you're the, the quirkiness is different. Quirkiness. It's dark. It takes place all over the country. It's not all in Twin Peaks. Like there's a lot of stuff that's very different, but it's so just like, okay. like in hindsight, like going back, I love season three. As kind of its own entity. Yeah. When I, you know, I was waiting for this to come out for many, 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 many (laughs) years. And then it finally comes out. I watched the pilot episode of the season three and it's like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. So it's, it's not, it's not, it's, while it is a continuation of the first two seasons, it's also not. And they do a really good job with that, but it really. Okay. Like it puts this major Briggs in UFO and like ufology is what they call okay. This this stuff mm-hmm. to the forefront. It's less about like demonic esque possession and more about well, that's still an element. Yeah, it's they they really hit this like like space space and time science fiction approach. Yeah, and it's all written, all directed by Lynch. So yeah. it's just completely his own. Co-written thing. Frost, but oh, excuse me, yes, yeah, and but so all directed by Lynch. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, mm. wow. Okay. Did you, you didn't watch um, Firewalk with me, did you? That's the. I movie. know. I don't know if I'd recommend it. It's pretty upsetting. I love it. I love it. It's 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 it's, it's a real exploration. And well, when, when we finished the series, we knew about all these kind of additional things, and we sort of debated whether to watch them or not. So, well, now now you've intrigued me. Well, Firewalk with Me is is very very good. It's like the darkest parts of Twin Peaks, just made into a hmm. feature film, and it's also it's it really is centered around the trauma and 
it, it explores Laura Palmer's like the, last yeah. days. Okay. Well, I was going to say, um, Major Briggs was a fun character for me uh, because I'd always been a big X-Files fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's the guy who, uh, the same actor who plays Dana Scully's father, who is a, a Navy guy and looks like almost the same. He's always wearing a uniform. Right. So, yeah, yeah, it's just good because there's so much overlap between Twin Peaks and X-Files. He's a great character who transferred over to a lot of my favorite things he's in the yeah don davis don s davis is his name and he like he's in best in show he's oh, yeah. in a league of their own two of our favorite movies yeah. x file oh. he's in he's the the racing coach in a league of their own and he's the final judge in best in show yeah like oh and, wow yeah so he's just like this this great working character actor yeah who unfortunately died i think in 14 something like that um, but yet they still make him like he's quite possibly the central character or one of the central characters in season three, Twin Peaks, and he died several years ago. Yeah, before. and he physically it's, did it. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. So we kind of transfer over to the uh, the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Station. The Major sits in the Sheriff's Conference Room with Truman and Cooper. Doc Haywood photographs the back of Briggs' neck. Um, the Major also recalls seeing the image of a giant owl. Uh, Hayward displays a photograph, three triangular scars behind the major's right ear. Yeah, it looks almost like the plutonium thing. Yeah, that's yeah. why was it supposed to be yeah, like a radioactive danger yeah. symbol. Yeah. Um, major Briggs becomes very upset. But it's also wonders, the, same, the same symbol that you see the very the first image that comes out or whatever. Yeah. Um, and wonders if his experience was meant for his soul. Genuinely, like the first three minutes of this episode to me has the feel of season three of just sort of like it's a little less rooted in like real life and a yeah. little more sort of like, what's, you'll go whole, whole episodes. Like, I'm not sure what's happened. grounded. Yeah. Like there's no grounding of anything. Yeah. It's just like living in this ethereal space. Um, when Cooper suggests that uh, Briggs start at the beginning, the major asks if they're familiar with project blue book, the air force investigation into UFOs that ended in 69. And that's, is that a real thing? Project Blue that Book? is a real thing that mm-hmm. actually happened. Yeah. It was uh, like started in 1952. It was most of the fifties and the sixties. And yeah, it was actually the government asking our UFOs a threat to us. Do we need to worry uh-huh. about all these reports? And they collected like 12,000 something reports. It was crazy. Yeah. Y'all went to a, you and Carrie went to a UFO conference. Was that, did, was that like a whole weekend that you guys did? Oh I- yeah. We've been to multiple UFO conferences. You guys have been doing, how long have you been doing Ono, Ross, and Carrie? Uh, since 2011, so over nine years now. Okay, because nice. I, I think I started listening to it in 2012, and y'all have like covered so much, and I think to this day, my favorites are the ufologists and the flat earthers, because there's just something I kind of respect about somebody who like connects the dots in spite of any logic. <laughs> Like they're just willing to find pet. What's the thing where you can see faces everywhere? You pareidolia. Pareidolia. I feel like they have pareidolia, but just for the world of like everything's connected. <laughs> Amped up, yeah, totally. Um, it, it's all about pattern seeking, and so is science. The right. only difference with science is that you actually check external sources to make sure that things are consistent uh-huh. and it's repeatable. Yeah, yeah, not not just internally consistent, but externally consistent right. as well. Yes, repeatability, ever, falsifiability, another important concept that conspiracy ever, theorists. Did you miss. ever watch your Salton Sea um, 
experiment or do they still the um flat earth sultan sea experiment that you guys did did that ever end or did everybody just say like no it was bad i mean they kept going back after they berated me saying oh why did you pick the sultan sea first of all you suggested it <laughs> uh, or at least one of one of your guys did and then of course after we did that experiment they kept going back and back and back um and after a while i just couldn't accept the invitations anymore because um i have other things to do but um like they became really fascinated with uh, what, what legitimately is a cool effect that they discovered at night. If you l use lasers, I think my explanation is you can get enough refraction in the atmosphere that you can get a laser beam to shine across this seven mile stretch of lake or, you know, even longer. And so it looks like, yeah, okay, we're, we're um, seeing something on the other side that we shouldn't be able to see if the earth is round but I think it's just that laser light bouncing off of air molecules. Yeah, so to sort of take a step back, Ross went out with some flat earthers and it was it's a seven mile lake or sea or something, body yeah, of water. I'm trying to yeah, it was seven to nine miles, somewhere in that range, but we wanted enough Earth's curvature so we could have a measurable, you know, a chunk of, of, of water, essentially, that was obscuring the view of the opposite shore. So the uh, idea I'm sorry, I just so, want to make sure people have the idea is if you stand at one end of this lake and somebody stands nine miles away, they are so far away that because of the curvature of the earth, you can only see like their head or you can't see them at all. Yeah, there's going to be water in the way. Right. And one of the things that they say all the time, one of their refrains is water cannot hold a curve. They think that's just absurd. Um, and, and we did demonstrate the curvature of water, especially at nighttime. Uh, when you we demonstrate that on in a glass, yeah, can't you just drop water into a glass and show surface tension? Like, well, but you know, they would be right in complaining and saying, "Well, that's not gravity. That's okay. not the curvature of the Earth. That's a separate thing altogether." Well, so, curve. Uh, sure, yeah, you know, they <laughs> they would say you're being pedantic, but um, and they'd be right. But um, uh, <laughs> the um, uh, anyways, the uh, the the over the thing that we did demonstrate was at night one time we were able to even crouch just like lowering ourselves a mere like two feet the lights on the opposite side would disappear under yeah. the hard edge of the water mm -hmm. and then you'd stand up and you could see those lights again and, and we all knew those lights were like 20 feet in the air so we're like sorry that is right there that is uh of we falsified the claim essentially, and uh, they were they refused to remember that or talk about that. They just they look at their laser experiments. Sure, you got you need a laser. It's not a real experiment if you don't have a laser. That's what I've always said. If, um, well, I, I'll say to other people, like just listeners, and transition a little bit back into Twin Peaks. But this whole stuff, this whole Project Blue Book, where they do all the UFO claims and all that stuff, is really. Uh, heavily, like a large topic in the secret history of Twin Peaks, which is the book that it's came out uh, like shortly before they re they released season three, and it's it's a really good book. It's written entirely by Mark Frost, mm. and it's just like a collection of dossier. It's like a dossier collection of like news clippings and things like that. Obviously, they're all fictionalized, fictionalized but it's fantastic. It's a great read, and there's a bunch of like inconsistencies in it between that and the show in oh, a way that's like is this intentional or does he not remember the show that he did? <laughs> like, it's really, really fascinating, but it's really, really focused on project blue book. 
Uh, so the major says that some, even though Project Blue Book ended in 69, some continued the effort um, unofficially both to examine the heavens and, as in Twin Peaks, the earth below. He says they're searching for a place called the White Lodge. And that's when it gets interrupted. Is this our first reference to the White Lodge? No. We, oh. A week or two ago is when um, Hawk talked about it's it said if you approach the, oh, okay. the, the White Lodge, the Black Lodge is the shadow self of the White Lodge. And if you mm. approach the Black Lodge with... Any fear With any fear, it'll utterly annihilate your soul or something like yeah, like, yeah. over the top dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> like, like all of that seems like really hard to pick up on if you're just watching the show, but it's really important to understanding the overall arc of the mythology of the show. Yeah. But yeah. it seems like if you're, if you're just watching the show, you're not really going to pick up on the whole Black Lodge, White Lodge thing until you start reading supplemental materials. And they go like the, the finale really dives into the, the yeah. Black Lodge, White Lodge stuff. No, it's wild. Um, but, and then subsequently season three as well. But. Yeah, and that was mm. kind of why we started this show is because I've seen it through like, or this podcast, I've seen it through two or three times and like, I'm still lost at a lot of things. So we wanted to walk through it in a way that was like, if you're really trying to like understand Twin Peaks as a show, mm-hmm. Mikey is has a lot of information. I'm pretty good at like guiding. <laughs> like, well, and there's a, there's, a lot, what I, there's a lot of stuff that's drawn from like transcendental meditation mm-hmm. and like, of course. Yeah. And all sorts of stuff that like is really drawn from other mythologies that yeah. I don't know much about. But if you start listening to podcasts that aren't us, um, but why and, would you? and read books and stuff like that, they, there's a lot of really fascinating theories about mm-hmm. all sorts of things because they're, Oh, if you draw this thing about tulpas and whatever mythology you're pulling from this other thing and you can apply that here and, Oh, this makes sense all of a sudden. And it's, it's really fascinating. Have you done anything on transcendental meditation, Russ? We haven't investigated it for the podcast, but we know what a big proponent uh, David Lynch is. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah! Didn't he try to like get people to float or fly or something? I think I just heard Jesse. Oh, flying yoga. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's yeah, a fun one. something a few years ago. I I don't remember the details of it, but yes, he wanted. He, there was something where he wanted to try to get like the entire country to fly or levitate or something like that. We missed it. I'll, I'll just throw in since we were talking about Project Blue Book, one of the major astronomers who was brought in who was very pro alien um, and was very involved in these serious efforts to research uh, these claims. There's a guy named J. Allen Hynek, and uh, you can actually see him in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, hmm. Steven Spielberg had him appear in a scene. So, um, really? It, it, there, that, that scene, it, when the aliens come in, for the fir- where you first greet them and like all of the scientists are like, that guy, that. one of them is Francois Truffaut, like there's, yeah, a, there's yeah, like yeah. people who are influencing him in this story and oh. his career and, and stuff like that. He casts all these interesting people in those, as those scientists, which is interesting. That movie takes place in Muncie, Indiana, where I went to college. So, Oh, so cool. a lot of men abandoning their families for some reason in Muncie, Indiana to go <laughs> hang out with aliens. Is that the thing I'm supposed to take away from that movie? Cause that's all I took away from that movie is a man hated his life so much that he abandoned his wife and adorable children to be like, fuck you nerds. I'm going yeah. to space. Yeah. It's hard to ignore that, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. 
Um, so they're interrupted by two MPs who, on orders from Colonel Riley, take the major. As Cooper examines the photograph, a few uh, a few drops of water drip onto it from the overhead sprinkler. That was a nice little callback, I think. To uh, I think they're just calling back Leland? to when Leland died, and yeah. and oh, Bob Bob was like, to me, it's the sprinkler system is how Bob got out. Bob, so mm-hmm. Bob left Leland, uh huh, and went into the woods through an owl or whatever, uh-huh. whatever his means was. But I think that is pointing to a way out and it's coming back in now in with major Briggs. like something, there's some connection to wait is that. water a Bob? Not necessarily. No, okay. <laughs> it's water a Bob. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Str- stranger Bob. things have happened. Thank you, Ross. I, I just, I just like that. I like that sentence delivered in all sincerity. Wait, is water a bomb? No, I just I, I think that, like there's things are coming and going, and this is a method at which they can do that. Okay, and I think it's just reminding you of that. Right. And I thought it was just a good use of subtlety because it because it's also arbitrary and could mean absolutely nothing. Sure. But it was a nice callback to the sprinklers few episodes ago being right. a big deal in the sheriff's office denise um, urges off. ernie so ernie is um what's her name's husband no what's her name's mom's husband norma's norma's mom's, mom's new husband yes. who's also a con man question mark uh or he was in jail oh ernie is coming i thought yeah. you were saying her mom um, oh no, no no yeah he's he was in the joint with hank the joint yeah Mikey's lived a pretty rough life. He calls it the joint. I serve my nickel. <laughs> and of course, Denise is another uh, tie into the X-Files. There you go. Oh, yeah. my, my son and I had watched uh, all of the X-Files. And so I was trying not to spoil that David Duchovny was in the series. So it would be a fun surprise when Denise uh-huh. showed up. And then one day we were watching a much earlier episode and my wife walked by and said, oh, have we seen David Duchovny yet? I was like, oh. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's that's great. But so you knew that David Duchovny was in that so you, Yeah, you had, I knew it was coming, but I wanted Andrew to be surprised. A lot of yeah. a lot of crossover directors too in the series. Like a lot of like episodic TV directors did episodes of Twin Peaks and then, Yeah, there has to be a club of like, hey, can you direct sort of weird tenuously realistic? Well, yeah, but like just it's the same edgy vibe. television in the early nineties. That's rare. Yeah. And this was before, before uh, X-Files. Is that what we decided? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, we talked the first episode where Denise appeared, we talked a ton about like how ahead of its time that character is and all that fun stuff. So Denise, Oh, Denise goes on a fun journey. This, so she urges Ernie to make a phone call. Um, he's flop sweating. <laughs> Which uh, is a nice setup. For- yeah later um cooper enters and after his pride is challenged ernie calls jean renault and tells him that he has an out-of-town buyer i really like i really liked denise filing her nails and then kind of giving him like one of these like shoulder rub guys that like totally just fucking with him and it's great and i just (laughs) he kind of acts like a child because literally at one point he's like don't (laughs) like (laughs) like it like a child like don't touch me um uh, okay, Andy enters the sheriff's office and walks past Lucy and encounters Dick, who Oof. tells him about the visiting 
Happy Helping Hand Adoption Agency to find that Nikki's records were sealed and returned to the orphanage. So wait, why are they suspicious about little Nikki? Yeah, I, I was re-watching this one. I was like, I do not remember this subplot. Yeah, what was so going on? And so dumb and so inconsequential. I think most importantly, like none of this matters. It, yeah, exactly. That's 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 the reason it's easy to just overlook it. Um, but it's basically just when Molly Shannon was in yeah. and she told him that like his parents died and, and awful things have happened when he's around, mm-hmm. but didn't wouldn't give any details. Okay. They want those details because now like the the, the car devil. collapsed and like all this stuff were like, oh shit, is this kid maybe the devil when we got that terrible Andy thought bubble yeah. of seeing little Nikki as the devil. Like yeah. they're just investigating it. But it's just like we don't maybe it's a thing Dick would do, but it's so far out of character for Andy. Yeah. It's just yeah. It's painful. I know it's just like maybe this fun little subplot for Lucy's competitors to um, interact with each other. Yeah. I don't know. But they, uh, of all the sort of like random pairings of characters, like we have Bobby and, mm-hmm. um, and um, what's his name? Ben Horn. Civil War. Yeah, Ben Horn. Um, <laughs> this is his hat that he was wearing. I was doing some pantomime work. Um, yeah, I like that, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that like flat top hat yeah. that they have. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> visual jokes on a podcast. Um, but this is maybe my least favorite because I, Dick Tremaine has the, op- like had a couple episodes of being like a really cool, weird character. And just like this random foppish guy well, who lives in like, because it was all delivered Beats. through Lucy's point of view. And Lucy's the best. And now we side skirted Lucy to bring Dick and Andy to the forefront. And those characters, Dick and Andy, Andy's still an interesting character, but like, those characters were interesting because you were seeing them through Lucy's character. Right. And now that you've like just pushed Lucy aside. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Well, and like uh, Dick Tremaine showing up like cosplaying like Dick Tracy. Like <laughs> yeah. could be really yeah. funny, but because I don't care for his exactly. character, it just feels dumb. But like the part when he like brings his hat down and like pulls his collar up, like he's like in a 1940s yeah. comic book. It's so cartoonish. Yeah. It is. And, and he has this face that's so expressive that it feels very cartoonish, but because like, I want to like, I think I like the actor. I just don't like. Well, and I'm wondering like how he even got in there to begin with, because Lucy doesn't seem to be aware of his presence. He's trying to be all incognito. And, you know, then later on they slunk off. So she doesn't see them. Um, So it's like, well, how did he even get into the police station and stand in that corner next to the receptionist's office? I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. The front door right there. (laughs) What's Andy's motivation for all this? Like, why is Andy participating now? That's the whole, like, Mm -hmm. that's why this storyline gets so bad is that it started out with the, oh, we'll compete over the love of this child to say, to show who's a better father figure toward Lucy. But now it's just turned into this, just like, we'll kick these two off and they'll get into shenanigans for no reason. Yeah. Well, I think Andy's simple enough that he'll just respond to anybody's earnestness. So if somebody looks really serious about something, yeah. you know, he just rescued a cat. So, you know, well, like, yeah, sure. I'll help, help you with whatever like, it is that's important. They're Meanwhile, they're busting up a drug ring. Like, why isn't Andy involved in that? He, he he's, a, up at the end. he's a legitimate fucking deputy. Like, <laughs> he should be involved in that whole thing. And there's like, two of them. In and they've got teams. him sneaking into some fucking, like, adoption agency yeah, thing or whatever. Like, I hated it. 
Andy and Dick plan a visit to the orphanage. They leave. Uh, Lucy tell another great Lucy scene. Lucy tells Cooper that she's checked all the personal columns in national newspapers and found nothing that looked like a chess deal and no name like Wyndham Earl. Like this was a, I, I feel like anytime Lucy and Cooper interact, mm-hmm. I'm just like really happy because it's two earnest characters, like trying so to do wholesome. their best. And like Lucy talks nonstop and Cooper just sort of like talks over her. Like, yeah. yep. Patience of a saint. Yeah. We'll just, I'll let you finish. I'll wait. Well, and I'm thinking, you know, Cooper's not dumb. Why would he even trust Lucy to find anything in the papers? Like she could miss something super obvious. I, I wouldn't trust really her. Interesting. I never thought of that of like, why does Cooper trust any of these goobers? <laughs> but also like, she, why does he trust Andy? He dropped a gun at when I'm herself to do like when they were looking for, Waldo, the the parakeet. The bird. It not was a parakeet. magpie, not a magpie. Raven, not a raven. What was it? Minor bird. Minor bird. Um, when they were looking for um, that particular bird, they didn't know that's what they were looking for. They thought they were looking for a parakeet, mm. and that's when Armstrong was another one. Anyway, um, they were going to, and then like they were like, "Here, Lucy, here's a couple of boxes of files. We're looking for." A, a minor bird, a parakeet, whatever the, the talking bird categories were that whatever. And like, she was the one who was like, no, what you've given me is not acceptable. These aren't alphabetized that way. You need to find like, these yeah. are alphabet alphabetized by pet's name. So I can't just, so I'm going to need help with like, she had the wherewithal to like scour boxes of veterinary documents to like find that. So like that kind of proves that like she's able to, you know what it kind of reminds for me this. of? It, Ross, did you watch uh, The Office? Did the Office, yeah. You know that episode where Michael shows up to some kind of corporate meeting and first he has his video of like everybody smiling at the camera and like, what is Scranton? Scranton is Stanley's smile or Phyllis's baked goods. And then they're like, okay, that's fine. Do you have the reports we asked for? And he's like, oh yes, I have those too. Like they, you have to show that he was competent at his yeah. job but also wanted to really kick it off with an intro to, to sure. Scranton. yeah like she, she still gets it done she's just flighty yeah um all right we're back at the double r diner where ed is drinking coffee he passes a note to norma saying we need to talk honestly ross watch season three if for no other reason to see the continuation of the ed and norma story because it's Which like you don't get until like 14 episodes in but but it's worth it wow okay okay it's, uh, it's a long season. It's like we, 18 hour episode. Did we skip over the part where James calls? I think we did. Where James no. calls Big Ed no, for this. Next. Okay. Um, Shelly feeds Leo the introduction to Invitation. Did you, is um, Invitation Love anything you noticed when the first time you watched it? Yeah, they or don't, when you watched no. it? show it this time, but you can hear it playing. So Invitation of Love goes through the first season, uh, or Invitation to Love, and it's a soap opera that like, mirrors what's going on in Twin Peaks. Oh, okay. So right before I, I don't Maddie, either don't remember that or I never put it together. Yeah, it's it's something that's really easy to skip and, over and because it plays at all times of the day. <laughs> yes. It, it's on no schedule. But like there's an episode where they talk about like it's Ruby and Sapphire and it's the same woman in wigs and she plays two different things. And they had that right <laughs> they introduced the character Maddie who is just Cheryl Lee Amazing. and Laura Palmer in a wig. So it's, it's, wow. it, it's not a ton of subtext. It's just like a fun little detail. I love it. Um, 
Shelly complains that it's Bobby's turn to feed Leo and Bobby claims that he has baseball practice. I Here's the thing I do like about the Shelly and Bobby relationship is that you're reminded like once every other episode that Bobby is an 18-year-old college idiot mm-hmm. who just like has his own shit going mm-hmm. on and is thinks that's just as important as like but, but it's, it and it gives him some like ability to you don't hate Bobby. No. You don't yeah. think of him as malicious or bad for Shelly or whatever. He's just a dumb kid. Yeah. Yeah, he's way over. Uh, I hate him. I think he's awful. Really? Do you? Yeah. Oh, it's just like, he's just so self-interested and yeah, he's selfish. But you have an 18-year-old kid, right? Isn't your kid a little bit? No, Andrew's a very- I have a 19-year-old kid. Oh, Jesus. But he's a very sweet, considerate boy. You're fine. You're right. He's not a Bobby. He's no Bobby. Did you- Thank God. when, (laughs) When watching the series through, did you- grow into that feeling for Bobby or was it kind of out the gate? I kind of fucking hate this guy. Oh, I could already tell like this guy's a skis ball. Yeah. Interesting. I might've been blinded by how very handsome Dana Ashbrook is because I never had those feelings until recently. I was like, Oh yeah, he's a skis ball. I don't know. Um, so- I just like, I've, yeah, I've always fallen for the Bobby charm and I've mm-hmm. never, wow. Like I, so I'm, I'm just interested because I've never even really second guessed that. <laughs> like I knew he was like troublesome and stuff, but like that's cool. I thought like he it. had a heart of gold or something. He, <laughs> I'm, we're, we're gonna push season three again. He's great. He's very good. He comes okay. back. He's very okay. good. It's. You know, you I'm also, interested to see who comes back. You know that scene in or a few episodes back where Major Briggs is sitting at a the diner table with Bobby and he's like, I had a dream about your future and, and you were, you would write it, you would write it yourself and everything was good and you were being productive and all this like that. They have that whole sequence and it's a really sweet moment and it really kind of pays off mm-hmm. season three, which is really good. It's very, very good. Um, I, I should say um, before I watched uh, the Twin Peaks series, um, I was a big fan of psych and oh, yeah. they we didn't, they did an episode that was like a big uh, homage. Yeah. And they brought in all the, exactly. And um, so we went to an event at the Paley media center where they had the stars of psych, but they also had a bunch of the people from twin peaks who had been on that show. And so it was totally lost on me. I was there like in the front row, right next to all these people. And I was like, Oh, they look familiar, but I don't know who they are. (laughs) So I I so wish I'd seen twin peaks before that. I think that's on one of the extras somewhere. Like some DVD extras of like of some. Psych or of I don't Twin recall Peaks. because I. Because we own both yeah. on disc. Mikey believes in physical media. I do. I do love physical media. Um, but I have both the, the, the psych DVD box set and several Twin Peaks iterations. But one of them has, you can watch that psych panel with the Twin Peaks. That's cool. Whatever. And yeah. I wonder I if you're. I can see it your head or something. Yeah. For like six months, they pulled Psych off like all streaming platforms and Mikey spiraled. So we had to buy it. Nice. Yeah, we have that one on DVD. It's just a really sweet, comforting show. It really is. Doesn't take itself too seriously. I, James Roday and like his whole thing, he's like basically the same age as me. So like. Oh yeah. You're the same person. Like, yeah. So all of his his little stupid references that could go over people's heads, like hit me square on. Like, I love it. I see it on YouTube, but like you can find the uh, the panel. Just know that I, I like if I reached out, I could touch my foot to um, uh, Dwayne. Um, wait, uh, 
Oh, shoot. And I'm um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. No, <laughs> uh, Dulé Hill. That's it. I'm right across from him in the front row. Like I could have touched his foot with mine. You know, that's right. That was really good. That was good. Um, I did make a cross yeah. stitch that says, have you heard what happened to Pluto? That when, What's it? You hear about Pluto? That's messed up. Yeah. I made a cross stitch that said that. Um, <laughs> nice. And it's one of those things I made as an inside joke for Mikey. And now it just sits on a shelf like, Nobody's ever going to see this again. It's just us being like, ah, eh? that joke though. Okay, so Shelly slaps Bobby. Uh, Bobby leaves. End of scene. James, phone. Okay, Mikey, we're about to get into the Evelyn James saga, yeah. but there is a really good part of this. So um, James phones Big Ed. He asks that the money from his savings account be sent to him uh, wherever he is. Did you hear this, Ross? Did, did you hear the other side of this conversation? on the phone, which almost sounds like it was added after the fact. Like they didn't have anything scripted and they just wanted like kind of that mumbling oh. in the background of who he's talking to. And if you listen no. here, you, you say James. it's all James. You don't, you don't ever see who's, you know, big Ed on the other end of the phone. It's all James. And James is like, yeah, don't ask questions, but I need you to take all the money out of my savings account and send it to me. And you can just hear big yeah, Ed yeah, yeah. go, you have $12 in there. <laughs> I didn't hear the other side of that. That's crazy. Like yeah. it's you have twelve dollars in there, it's and so like good. like so like like just the idea of James so like dramatically over the top. Like I need I need all, my, all my money because I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna end up. It's like, dude, you got twelve bucks. Yeah. Like take it easy. Helping <laughs> too much. So um, good. Um, Evelyn enters the garage, asks if he is homesick. Who cares? James tells her about Laura and wanting to run away from Twin Peaks. Evelyn kisses him. Who cares? They hear Jeffrey leaving. Jeffrey's the husband or the brother? Or whatever. Jeffrey is the husband. Okay. Malcolm. Is that the husband? Okay. I was wondering. Jeffrey's the husband. Malcolm is the brother. Malcolm is the skinny guy with the like really thin hair. Okay. Um, Mm. they hear Jeffrey leaving. She tells James she needs help. Okay. At 9.25 a.m., I don't know why that was noted. Thank you. Uh, 9.25 a.m., Nadine sits to, oh, I, re- okay, I might be coming around on Nadine this viewing. It's, it's, I used Harley to, Payton does her well, at least. I, for me, like, the worst season two subplot was super strong young Nadine. I don't That's know. so what, weird. I thought so it was weird. so dumb and cringy, but this scene, like, made me giggle it's a an, whole I lot. I mean, I, I, you know, outside of the sexual assault shit. <laughs> like, um, she sits down to Mike next to Mike Nelson at the counter of the double R. He tells her that he doesn't, I love that Mikey's pointed out this out before, but she always, he always calls her Mrs. Hurley. And then like <laughs> Mrs. Hurley, Nadine, because we're all supposed to be playing this game where we pretend she's 18. Um, <laughs> she, Mike tells her he doesn't want to know her, but she tells him she wants to go out with him, kisses him and pushes him off his stool. Not exactly. Norma puts on a coat and leaves after telling a clearly suspicious Hank that she's going to run some errands. Mm-hmm. Interestingly shot, though, like be- between the like a you know ice cream dispenser and a pie cabinet or whatever. So it's just like you see this tiny little sliver. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and just the two of them, it's, it's just, you know what I mean? I like the way it's showing that they still haven't connected yet. Mm-hmm. Like there's still yeah. space between them. And it's, it was an interesting choice. Uh, tr- also directed by Todd Holland, which we didn't say. Oh yeah. Todd Holland's the guy who. I'm a big fan. He's done a lot of great television. Like he directed a lot of Wonderfalls, a lot of Gary Shandling show. He did the real O'Neill's he did. Yeah. Um, he directed the movie, the wizard. Um, oh which I love. And that, it's a great movie. I just had a There's, feeling Ross would recognize that. You might rec- the guy who was in the orphanage scene with Andy and Dick, like the family who comes in, we're like, hey, we're looking for this oh, guy. Yeah. And then they have that really bad joke about like, well, that kid's dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I'm comfortable. I mean, oh. Uh, like, terrible. That guy is the bad guy from um, that's chasing the them down in The Wizard. Is the oh, wizard, okay. Is the one that was just a... Um, a commercial a for two the hour, glove? Yeah, no, it was a two-hour commercial for Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, what was the one there? They, it was they the definitely glove. did. There's a big Power Glove scene, oh, but that already glove. existed. Oh. What we didn't know, because they had no marketing, this was the launch for marketing for Super Mario Brothers 3. Sure. Because that was announced at the end of the movie, and people were like, oh, shit, there's a third one coming out? Yeah. And Mario can fly? <laughs> wild. Weird, wild stuff. Okay, Truman visits Josie at the Blue Pine Lodge and asks her what? Oh, my God. This subplot is Josie is a maid is yeah bad. Did you remember this whole subplot, Roz? That Josie becomes yeah. a maid. Right, right. That's her punishment, and then somehow, like, she thinks that he's going to just now think of her as a maid. Yeah, weird. Yeah, you know when you put on a uniform and the person you love can't recognize you. That happens to me all <laughs> right. the time. <laughs> yeah, and and we know she's still scheming. You know, she's just waiting for her moment. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, Truman kisses But also her. just like, it, it puts Truman in this place where like, now he has to be like forceful and like sh- try to carry these scenes that like, where Truman works as a character is like countering everybody else's dominant scenes. Yeah. Like, I don't like him going mm. after Josie like this. It's not, it it's just like him. cringy to me. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that didn't make sense on a human level. Yeah. Right. It's, right. It's, it's, Look at me. I'm a maid. Well, I mean, you're wearing a maid's uniform. And then he's like groping her all weird. Didn't like it's, it. Don't care for it. Yeah, don't they like it. They have no chemistry. It's the problem. It's, because she doesn't have, she's got a, the chemistry of a law. Like, no, don't don't dispatch logs like that. The logs yeah, have more chemistry than she does. That's true. Um, all right, back at the Great Northern, Audrey walks, watches Ben's secretary run from his office in tears. She enters to find Ben deep in his reenactment of Gettysburg. She tells him he needs help and uses the phone to call for her uncle. This is one of this. Is, I, and I've said this before, I think, but my favorite bad subplot. If there's six bad subplots, Ben Horn Civil War is my favorite. I, I think it's just because Richard Beamer is such a good actor that so good. It play and the way Bobby interacts with him about it is I think delightful. Yes, I, I do really like their interactions and Bobby just trying to like make it work. Um, yeah, he's I just want money, but I don't know I don't I was planning on blackmailing this guy and, and now he's like a child and yeah. just doesn't have the understanding of the world. And it's great. Why do you think they decided that Ben Horn should be fighting for the South in the civil war? I think <laughs> he's a closet racist. <laughs> no, I think it comes down to because he started, he started doing this because he was at a point where he lost 
everything. Everything. Yeah. So he's so he's identifying with to make general the losers aid. win. And if I if the losers can win, I can remedy myself. Yeah, there's a lot of losers throughout history that you could side with that are not the Confederate. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe do like the Scots in the. 17th century because everyone century. knows that whole story. yeah the scottish revolution you know ross you've seen william wallace thank you ross <laughs> michael's never seen outlander it's that's what happens well, in Outlander. Braveheart. Bra- also braveheart. braveheart was also racist <laughs> i don't know at least mel gibson is <laughs> well mel gibson is racist so yes i think that's fair Either way, you're going to touch on racism yeah, yeah, somehow. Yeah. It's not great. Okay, in Truman's office, Hawk tr- uh, takes a transmitter to Ernie's abdomen. Ernie is visibly nervous, claims that he suffers from hyperhidrosis when Hawk complains about <laughs> Ernie's sweating. Um, Ernie starts to recall Korean we- war experiences. Um, Cooper makes Ernie <laughs> review his plan to take Denise to Doug Dog Farm to meet Renault. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that. I like that Cooper comes into that scene and goes, okay, Ernie, give me all the exposition. (laughs) It's Tell me the entire story of what's about that. Oh, and you know what we passed over the part when Ernie finally made the call and Cooper gives a really like, ah, like a a great great thumbs thumbs up. up, Good good thumbs up. Really Classic Cooper. Cooper thumbs up. Um, I kind of like Ernie too. Like he's a he's character a I would character. forget about, but I I kind of like his performance. He yeah. does. He does. Well, we like that moment because my son has hyperhidrosis, so oh, yeah. it's fun to see a character on TV. There you go. Representation having. matters. <laughs> you can see it. You can be it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, Ernie. I feel like of all the characters that are introduced in the second season, he drops into. Yeah. He and Denise, I think, drop into the Twin Peaks like. He was shoehorned in because of the whole, like, he was the... Married to... Yeah. But now that he's there, works. Yeah. Seamlessly, relatively. Um, Truman deputizes deputizes Cooper so he can go with them. Sweet little moment. Yeah. That was very sweet. It's sweet, but I feel like they could have... It feels like we spent so much time with the fucking Josie thing and the Evelyn thing that, like, you could have spent time with this yeah this would have been a moment people wanted to see yeah give me a few more minutes of like the back and forth of why we decided to deputize you and you can do this and you yeah this is a have a big moment get some big building sure. music like they kind of just like he tosses him a badge and he's like cool you're ready to go and i i wish they had done more with that yeah i mm. do love yeah. any time that cooper and uh and truman like show each other how much they love them. It's very sweet and wonderful. Um, Cooper pins deputy deputy badge number 13 on as Denise enters, but she's dressed as a man and calls herself Dennis Mm -hmm. with like the full slicked back hair. It's a real nineties look. The company was working. Um, Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. It was kind of like he played a character in one of the Beethoven movies. Maybe it was the original Beethoven. Like the Uh, dogs or the one about the computer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, David Duchovny was in that, and he played that slick back hair character with the suit. Like, yeah, it looked like he'd stepped right out of that role. You know, Beethoven is one of those things that was like knocked around so much in my childhood, and I'm not sure I've ever seen it. I just know that every time I hear Beethoven, I'm like, is it the dog or the composer? <laughs> oh uh, yeah, it was it was the original uh, Beethoven. Yeah, David Duchovny plays the like a, a greasy lawyer character. Is he like the villain? Yeah. It's so weird. He's so likable. Um, all right, Dick and Andy, they enter the office of the Dort home for boys while everyone's at lunch. 
Dick searches the files and finds the files on Nikki. He starts to read the file as a couple, enter, introduce themselves as the Brunstons. Oh, yeah. yeah, this is the guy who's from The Wizard. Who have come to see Donnie. Mm-hmm. Dick tells them little Donnie is not feeling well. He says Donnie is dead. Tired. <laughs> That's humor. All right, Donna drops into Big Ed's house. Um, he asks about James. She asks about James, and then leaves. <laughs> and then they that's do, all we. They do a lot of interaction in the Big Ed's hallway. Yeah, <laughs> where they someone steps into the door frame. <laughs> they have their conversation right there in front of the door, yeah. and then that person leaves. Yeah, <laughs> like, like when James Butler yeah. says, "I'm not going to the funeral," and then leaves. And then just <laughs> leaves. Yep. Yeah. yeah I really would have liked to have seen the scene outdoors as they passed each other because Norma obviously like shows up right as right, uh, yeah. Donna's leaving. Ugh. Yeah. Um, Do they high five each other? What <laughs> <the day? laughs> uh, Ed tells her about James' phone call, t- gives her the money to take to the bar in 96. After she leaves, Ed returns to Norma, who kisses him and also leaves. Ed closes the door and turns around to see Hank. Who begins to beat him. Okay, so at some point in this scene, there are three human people in this house that aren't big Ed. Yeah. And How they, did- somehow they all surprise you. <laughs> yeah, like, no one should be there, and yet they're all there. Yeah, and as long as you're just out of frame, no one has any idea you're there. <laughs> also, who the fuck is walking the double R? In the previous scene where Norma says, Hank, I'm leaving, I gotta go do this thing, you have to watch the double R and he's like, but it's It's the lunch rush and I'm the only one here. She's like, figure it out. You can handle it. And then she leaves. And then she leaves. And apparently they just shut the double R down. Nobody's there. Apparently there's no consequences here. Just like the Ed has been at home having a boring morning. And then within the span of 10 minutes, like five people show up at his home (laughs) and he's like, gets in a massive fight. (laughs) And Nadine's about to show up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Nadine comes back. Oh my goodness. Um, she ends the fight, yeah. Yeah, Nadine enters and thoroughly pummels Hank before comforting Ed. Yeah, yeah. why does she have to, like... She, like, she slams him up against things. She's beating him up. That's all fine. But then, like, why does she have to destroy the house in the process? She's like, <laughs> okay, I'm already beating you. I'm going to slam you up against this painting. And now I'm going to, like... I'm going to throw you through this little entryway cabinetry and, like, just destroy every little knickknack we have in the house. It's called drama. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of that. Punching somebody. As a person who lives in a place, it's just Uh annoying to see the wanton destruction. But uh, okay, you're right. It's like what we're seeing in in politics right now. People don't care about people. People care about property. So everyone's like, oh, whatever. Ed gets punched. Who cares? But we like destroy a nice painting. Like that's too far. This far, no further. (laughs) All right. Maybe not the point I was making. (laughs) Um, okay. Uh, in his office, Bobby tell Ben tells Bobby about a civil war battle. Um, Audrey opens the door and peeks in as Ben addresses Bobby as general Meade. Was that what it was? I don't remember. I thought it was general Lee. M E A D E is what it says here. Oh, I oh, know. Bobby is general Meade. And I, oh uh, yeah. Ben, and is, ben is Lee. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, I did really like this scene of when, uh, Ben is trying to get Bobby to, um, to surrender to him, and he's like, "Hold on, I have to go talk to President Lincoln. Gotta go check with Lincoln." He walks off with the sword. Yeah. <laughs> Why did he keep this? I mean, it was probably smart for him to keep the sword. I mean, he- well, yeah, because like I don't want this crazy person. To yeah, have the sword. exactly. 
You know me. You have suffered an ignoble defeat. And I accept your unconditional surrender. Okay. Tell you what, Mr. Horn. I'm gonna go and talk to President Lincoln first, okay? So you just wait right here and... Uh, and uh, I'll get back to you on this whole surrender thing. Okay, gotta go. I don't uh, want to keep the president waiting. I, I do like that line delivery, though. You can drop that in, maybe. Um, where Bobby talks about, like, I got good news and bad news. Uh -huh. Like, I like that. Yeah, that was a good exchange. Some bad news. The bad news is that your old man just bought a condo in Flip City. The good news is that he's about to win the Civil War. I know. Uncle Jerry said he was coming home on the next plane. Dr. Jacoby said he would come over tomorrow. I think Daddy needs an injection. God, we gotta help him. Don't worry, baby. Bobby's on the case. Don't come, baby. Bobby tells Audrey that Ben has flipped. Audrey says Uncle Jerry will be home on the... Oh, God, we haven't seen Uncle Jerry in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, Uncle Jerry will be home on the next plane, and Dr. Jacoby will come over tomorrow. As they leave, Catherine enters and goes into Ben's office. Again, and just off frame, so no one knows frame. she's she there. Just, like, she just, like, <laughs> sneaks on, um, wearing this deeply 1990s like sweater coat Pacific that I was Northwest really into. Style I, very much, yeah. My love for Catherine's character and the actress's portrayal of her, like I feel like she's just living on her own planet because she talks like this and she's always over the top and everybody else kind of gives pretty like sedated performances and everything she says is like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the she's, yeah it feels like, she she creeped on set, you know, had her little scene, and then she went off to the Golden Girls to do her next. <laughs> She's great, and she has that great shirt. I just, I, I mean, I love just like the layout of that whole scene, though, where like they've got him Ben Horn like climbing up on this chair on top of a desk on top of another desk. Yeah, and like it's all laid out in this battlefield where he's got this bird's eye view, but then there's like boxes, like the plastic tree boxes. They're just like like strewn about everywhere. Like there's no real, like he hasn't built this world that he's now. Right. It, it, it's so half-assed, mm -hmm. but he's so into it. I kind of, I kind of mm -hmm. think that way of him going off the rails. Uh, ben tells Catherine to go ahead and gloat, but Catherine says she did not come to gloat. Oh, wait. But Catherine says she did come to gloat, which is what this says. I don't think that's correct. Refers to Ben Some as a <laughs> slimy rat bastard Americanus. Do not feed. Then she tells him that she wants him and embraces him. You make my body hum, she says. They kiss and hug. This feels like somebody taking advantage of somebody in the middle of a mental break. Yeah. Yes. When you put a pastor. <laughs> Except that she's kind of the reason he's in that mental break. So she's just continuing. She's just feeding his weird. You know what I mean? It isn't like, hey, this guy's having a breakdown. Let's take advantage of it. She's breaking him down. Oh, this oh, is I just see. a continuation of her entire fucking plan going back to Tajimura and yeah. stuff. Ooh, how did you feel about Tajimura, Ross? Um, Catherine's yellow face character. 
Do you remember? Oh, that? I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, not great. Not great. Okay. <laughs> That's what I thought. I, I loved it. That's <laughs> yeah. what you fall in love with. Speaks. Uh, it's really the best you, thing it had going for You forward. wouldn't do that nowadays. Right. I like no, no. I know like the burning question was always who killed Laura Palmer, but it really should have been who, who is, is Tajimura? Like yeah. that should have been like the posters and stuff. <laughs> All right. Sherman and Cooper watch Ernie, Jean, Denise, and Officer King through binoculars at Dead Dog Farm while Hawk listens to their conversation over the radio. Ernie rambles about hyperhidrosis and yellow fever <laughs> as Denise tries to hurry them. Uh, King tells Jean that Ernie's shirt is smoking, and Hawk tells Sherman and Cooper that the wire is dead. King and Ornal emerge using Ernie and Denise's shields. Cooper exchanged himself for the hostages, and Sherman tells Hawk to call the state police. That's a great. I it's I always forget because I I remember watching this episode when I was a kid. Like this, I remember being Mikey Ross. I should say Mikey watched this when it first came out, so he was like what eleven or twelve when this. Wait, when did this? This is ninety one, early ninety one. Yeah, so you've so been 11. eleven. So like, imagine being a ten or eleven year old and watching like all of the Bob scenes yeah. and all like. Oh yeah, I'd be deeply haunted for life. To, to me, what it did was like make. That's why I'm so into Twin Peaks. Is that like? I always scared the fuck well, out yeah. of you. And it was like, like the way it's like, oh, I'm afraid of heights. Let's go skydiving to try to overcome it. It was like, figure out everything about Twin Peaks and it'll like Unlock fix the, this fear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this was an episode I remember watching because it was like a straightforward thing that I understood. It was like, these are the bad guys. Uh-huh. These are the good guys. Hostage situation. An 11 year old can understand that. Sure. Uh, same That's, thing. It, interesting. Go ahead. Interesting, like they they play out the whole like smoking chest, yeah, yeah. you know, from outside. I think you only seen that through the binoculars, yeah. right? Right. right. Uh-huh. Maybe they didn't want to pump smoke up through this guy's shirt or something, but it's like it's a very critical moment, and it's all seen from afar. Yeah, yeah. it's it's weird. Like I feel like you could this this whole exchange could have been an episode mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of like, the last six minutes of this one. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, I just and, I always remember like. Cause I think about like the rescue of Audrey Horn episode from that's, that's an episode I remember seeing as a kid. Mm-hmm. This is a, an episode I remember seeing as a kid. And, and I remember this and I remember this episode, the, the raid on dead dog, far, dead dog farm or whatever. It's like four and a half minutes. Yeah. They, they, they're in and they're out. Like it's. Yeah, you're right. They're, in any other show, that would have been a whole episode. Right? Yeah. It could have been. And, it's, and and I assume it's his excessive sweatiness that causes the smoke, right, but they right. never like say that. No, right? Because uh, you can hear it kind of sparking, which oh, suggests that the the receiver is is burning out. Did he like oh. taped a thing to his chest? Like, <laughs> yeah, the nineties. Yeah, poor guy. Uh, at night, under a half moon, Evelyn leaves James' bedroom and meets Malcolm, uh, who we thought up until this point was her brother. Or may still be correct. Um, who asks about quote their boy? She says he's sound asleep, dreaming of love. Malcolm and Evelyn kiss and embrace, though Evelyn is visibly uneasy. Think but think about this. Okay. Who cares? Good point. Moving on. The state police. <laughs> is this the first time besides um, Cooper bringing in his like FBI compadres? Is this the first time they call local police? Local police. Because we haven't seen state police, we've seen the FBI. Probably, unless unless it's just like, like they might have local police might have been involved when they 
pulled Maddie's body out of the river, um, like things like that. Sure. But I think it's the first time that they like straight up called in backup. Yeah. Uh, the state police arrive at Dead Dog Farm inside. King suggests suggests they deal or run. John asks Cooper if they will deal, and Cooper tells him his only option is sur- to surrender. I. This is a thing I I it kind of grew on me later of Jean Renault and like I never really cared about his character, but I kind of really liked his motivation during all this. This whole monologue about how Twin Peaks was just this quiet little place until mm. fucking you got here. Yeah, and granted it. It's more so Laura Palmer being killed. Yeah, but, I was going to say, I think a brutal murder kind of took it out of. But he, <laughs> but like, it's still going, like, you killed my brother. You killed, mm-hmm. the, this is, everything was fine until fucking you got here. Right. And he blames everything on Cooper. And I kind of like. That's interesting. It's it's good villain yeah. motivation. And not just like, I want to be the bad guy. I want more money or whatever stupid crap that you know, villains have like, there's genuine motivation to like my whole life got turned upside down. The moment you fucking mm-hmm. got here. Mm-hmm. I had a good thing was keeping everything quiet. And then you had to come start asking yeah. questions. Yeah. yeah. It was, especially since like, like they didn't really have anything to do with Laura's death. Sure. You know, like, yeah. yeah One eyed Jack's and Jean Renault's empire was involved to some extent. Right. It was a step on the path. But that solving was, it. certainly wasn't why she was murdered. Yeah, but she had, it's not like she was killed because she worked at One Eye Jacks or something. Um, how they phrase it here is when asked why, Jean says Twin Peaks was a quiet, innocuous bed of drug dealing before Cooper arrived. <laughs> <laughs> you know? See? In the good old days. <laughs> uh, his presence Make Twin every- Peaks great again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, his presence threw everything into a nightmare state that Mikey's about to spit out his wine (laughs) no are you sure (laughs) I've never heard him make Uh, this sound what are you talking about (laughs) Um, he he tells Cooper that if he should die quote maybe the nightmare will die with you Um, Denise approaches in a full Dollar Diner costume um, <laughs> that was probably the best part of the episode. It really was so great. It's good. It it takes them way too long to realize that yeah, this is the same dude who was just in here. <laughs> you were just talking to. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you look familiar. <laughs> it's not like oh, the last interaction was with this. Like it was literally ten minutes ago. You were in this room. You look familiar to me. But I don't know. It. It's they still well, I like that somebody had a his size maid costume. Oh, yeah, ready to go. Just mm-hmm. he had that in the back seat. I don't know about you, but in our trunk, we just have all kinds of uniforms for any. We have a TGI Fridays <laughs> uniform, we have a Chili's uniform, we have a yeah, Culver's that's uniform. The thing. That's those are all the places around here, right? They don't have as many, <laughs> they have less costumes to choose from, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, it's legit. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, Denise Bredes with the tray of food. Jean, not recognizing her, decides to let her in. Denise lifts her skirt to reveal a gun, which Cooper grabs and use, uses to shoot Jean as Denise jumps king. Loved this. Yeah. Uh, Truman and the troopers break for the house as Jean collapses, dead. Denise credits tr- credits Truman with the idea of her bringing food. Yeah, I'm I'm really great. I'm, I'm really glad that like <laughs> Denise comes in and it's. 
a quick pulls up the skirt right away. Yeah. Cooper knows exactly what's going on right away. Everything happened. And there isn't like they sit down for a while and have this exchange yeah. where they pass glances of like trying to telepathic. Yeah, yeah. That would have been in the version where that whole exchange took up the whole episode. Yeah, exactly. 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 And I like how that ridiculous plot, you know, went off. That plan went off as well as the previous plan went badly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. As good as you can hope. Um, all right. We are but at- a lot of the same thing too. Like you mentioned, like all the drama that happens inside the house, you don't really see most of it until Denise comes in. Mm, like, yeah. Cooper's got a big old like gash on his face. You don't see what happened. Okay, I thought I just missed that. Yeah, you don't. You don't see like him get hit. In the face. Um, you know, like you said, the the thing starts sparking. The shirt starts smoking. Mm-hmm. You don't see any of that. You kind of see it through a window. Such but a it's, weird choice. I to love make. it. I love it. It's, it's yeah. It's like it, it feels like it's cutting corners, but maybe it's intentional for some other reason. I don't know. It, I, I like the, I, to me. It feels like it's. They're in the dark a little bit. Like the poli- this is the one of the first times the police force is kind of not Ain't on top of things. Yeah. Like it's I don't know. I like it. I like it. All right, we cut over to Shelley and Leo's house. A record plays. This is great. Um, as the lights start to dim and Shelley wakes up, she gets off the house looking for Bobby, and she finds the scariest clown doll of all time in pillow in the pillow of Leo's empty bed. Hey, Ross, good news. Do you want to talk about your haunted dolls? Say <laughs> <laughs> what? I have a haunted doll I uh, sleep next to every night that I bought from eBay. It, so one of the things that Ross and Carrie did, and I, when I interviewed Ross, what was this? Was this 2019? I don't know what year is the last time I saw it. means nothing. 2019, maybe? I went to the... Um, Disney Animation Studios to, to mm-hmm. interview Ross and he was like oh here are my haunted dolls and I was like great this is great and I love this literally it's you can go <laughs> on eBay and buy haunted dolls and I mean I think granted I know you're a skeptic but has there ever been anything that has led you to believe that like oh this is why they think it's haunted um, or did you just buy not- a doll and they're like yeah they said haunted on it well, the whole sale, the thing that you're buying is the story that comes with this doll. Sure. You know, so it's crazy markup on just a regular doll, but someone has written this little tale of Lilith and, you know, what will make her upset, you know, depending on your astrological sign or what have you. <laughs> um, so that's right. So you came to visit when I had all four dolls with me? Yeah. And I remember you played the one that only the one eye blinked and it was yes, really so creepy. Sure didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Didn't like so, it at all. So, yeah, I had four dolls and I stayed with them for a while and then I let Carrie hang out with them and um, and then like we each kind of held on to two and um, we ended up giving most of them away to our audience. But I still have one haunted doll that sleeps at my bedside and usually I just forget she's there until someone's like, what's up with the freaky doll? Is it is it like just a, a foot and a half or is it like a poltergeist clown that's like... Fuck Here, I'll, I'll grab it because it's a few feet away. I'll be right back. Yes, oh, awesome. Finally. Um, while he's gone, what I'll talk about is when you were saying like the lights flickering, I love the use of this. I love how like th- that house is clearly on a generator. Oh, yeah. So the way it's powering on and then the record that's going is, is slowing Slowly. and starting. I love oh, that. no. That's Lilith. 
Honestly, oh, I that's have, fine. I have a closet full that of Madame Alexander scary. dolls, and I th- I've been trying to unload them. No, I'm not. Oop. She does yeah, look just like, say their ha- yeah. write a story about them and then unload it. I can end up on my. Bro- well, when Fuck I first yeah. walked in, and he said, "Oh, we're doing haunted dolls," and I said, "Oh, like the McElroys? because my brother and my brother and me have a yeah. whole thing." Oh, about that's right. Dolls. Yeah, I didn't know about that till you told me. Yeah, I just feel like all old dolls are creepy. Yeah. So yeah. What was her? What's her name? Lilith. Lilith. Lilith, of course. And what's her? What's her? St- God. What's her story? I can take a picture of this for her. She is, um, she is, um, a, uh, she responds to astrological signs. And I think like there was a house fire or something, um, that she survived, but, um, yes, I'm Leo and I think she's supposed to play practical jokes on me. Wow. You're a Leo. Did you just have a birthday then? Leo's August-ish, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. August 6th. August 6th. That's the only sign I know because that's me. I'm a Libra. What do you think that, uh, can you feel any like sparks from my Libra-ness or? I'm a Virgo, so I'm right after you. So do I get any like residuals of hauntings? Oh, good question, Mikey. I mean, I know the names. I don't know what part of year they go to or what their personalities are supposed to be. Let's see. So it's clearly super haunting. Um, I wanted to be known that as soon as Ross started looking up what our various signs were going to affect on Lilith, his recording dropped out Uh-oh. so ghosts are real i guess is what I'm saying. you know what i was looking up was uh i still have the list the description from ebay of how she reacts to different astrological signs so wait one of you was virgo mm-hmm. it's That's me. okay so virgo lilith will like you but she might try to play pranks on you she will do this to try to get your attention because she will want to be your friend okay jessica what That's was your sign again Thanks, uh, I'm a Libra. You're a Libra. You. Oh, uh, Lilith will want to communicate with you. You will have to figure out how no. to communicate with her. She is shy, but she will cause paranormal activity to happen when she is comfortable enough with you to communicate. Okay, well, it sounds like I'm doing a lot of work for a doll that isn't that interested in talking to me. So, <laughs> like, live our lives. She wants to be my friend. Oh, <laughs> I hate it. Uh, um, okay, you, so you want everyone to like you. I so do. It's there's clinical. a good chance you'll try to get <laughs> Lilith to like you. She just likes me, even though I want nothing to do with her. It's debilitating. Yeah. Um, okay, so she finds a clown doll on the pillow of Leo's empty bed, um, which I it's good spooky scare. It's good spooky scare until you like try to put it in perspective of like Leo grabbed this doll, yeah. laid it on the bed, was like, "This is gonna be super creepy." She's gonna get super, like, yeah. someone had to do that. Uh-huh. Like that's the part where it's like Leo is barely mobile and was like, "Oh man, I should get this doll and oh, wind it up so the arms so move." Bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. good point. Uh, the lights dim again, and she sees Leo standing wearing a party hat, and he's got- what is all over his face? It looks like it's still like residual cake, but I feel like that can't. Be <laughs> that was a, that was like what a she was trying to. Yeah. She was trying to feed him something earlier, and yeah, it's like red, so it's supposed to feel like blood, but maybe it's raspberry. It's like on his forehead and stuff. Too. It looks like a full-on clown situation, though. Like yeah, his, eyes his are dark. face fell in some shit. Mm. It is all very creepy, unless you think about how any of it happened, yeah. and then it sort of loses. But its I, I, I love the. So this house is under repair, so likely they're working on a generator. Mm. 
so the generator losing power and gaining power seems like if you're yes. running low on on fuel, mm -hmm. it kind of comes in and out. And I love the light flickering is creepy, mm -hmm. but I love the the record playing and it's slow and then bigging back up. I love that. I yeah, I think that's a genuinely good scare. Yeah, playing any music or sound at a speed other than its intended speed is always off-putting. But the key is the transition. Yeah. I like that it drops into it and then picks back up. I love that. I think that's really well done. And then you don't need Leo to do anything except stand there. Right, which is which is that actor's forte, is <laughs> standing. Um, all right, so the lights go out there. Outside the darkened sheriff's station, Truman asks Lucy about a bomb report. Lucy tells him that there was a voice on the phone that said there was a bomb planted in the woods. There was a huge explosion. The lights went out. Lucy called the fire department. There were two fires, one at the power station. Hawk goes to check the generator. Cooper enters the station, calls Harry from his office. Harry enters to, and sees a body with long hair tied to a chair with one hand pointing to a chessboard. Cooper says it's Wyndham Merle's next move. And that guy tied to a chair is... Craig McLaughlin. Do you recognize that last name? I, I saw Kyle the name in the credits. So it's Kyle's yeah, it's, brother or something? It's Kyle's brother. Yeah. Hmm. Which, in hindsight, if you look at them, like, they have the exact same chin. And that's sure. a very unique chin. It's a, it's a distinctive chin. Um, yeah, and that's the end of that episode. Ross, any uh, overarching thoughts before we let you get back to your real life? Uh, no, just I thought... Um, you know, that was a it was a good meaty episode. A lot was happening. A lot of these little mm -hmm. subplots and plots were progressed. So uh, it was fun to kind of get back into the feel of it. It's, it's a weird separation. Like, it feels like it's like an episode of Oil and Water. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, some of it is really, really good. And then there, there's little Nikki and <laughs> Evelyn. And there's like three or four sequences where you're like, why the fuck is this here at all? Yeah. It feels like a lot of padding. Yeah, which is what we see a lot. You're right. And that's what we see a lot in season two, because as you mentioned earlier, season one is only eight episodes, and they got picked up for season two, and it's twenty. Yeah, twenty episodes, and like clearly nobody had a twenty episode arc sure. plan. They had another eight right. episode arc. <laughs> yeah. It feels like they're figuring out as they go along. I recently read um, Bob Iger's book. He's he was the uh, CEO of Disney for many years, and. Early on, before he was CEO, he was an executive at ABC Television. And so he was, in his story, he was talking about how uh, he fought for Twin Peaks. Like, everybody else looked at that and wow. said, what the hell is this? He's like, no, we need something new. This is different and weird. Let's do it. Um, and then it was eventually him who I think had to pull the plug on it after it was just getting a little too weird. And and uh, David Lynch couldn't, like, pull things together, you know, so... Mm -hmm. I think that's why it finally stopped. But it was fun to hear from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little bit of that too. We talk about the studios being like, you need to solve it. You need to figure. And then they started moving them around in their time slots. Yeah. And no one, no, audiences didn't even know when it was right. on anymore. Did yeah. you know, right. I don't know if they mentioned that last, did they, did he mention that the studios like insisted that Lynch reveal who killed Laura Palmer, even though yes. Lynch absolutely never intended it. Okay. That's right. Yeah. 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 That was part of that whole uh, behind the scenes discussion. I, I got to say uh, my favorite line, Andrew's and my favorite line of the whole series, having watched it was agent Cooper saying uh, ducks in a lake. 
<laughs> it was very early on, like well, I think when we were still getting yep, to yep, know yep. him, but just like him showing up, and then you know he kept saying like aces. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so <laughs> so silly and weird. Yeah. So that those were two like phrases that we took away from the show that we'll still say. You know, like aces <laughs> or yeah. uh, ducks in a lake. You know, like anytime we see some nature, yeah. Genuinely, Cooper is, and I, we, Mikey and I got a chance to meet Kyle McLaughlin because we, whoa, did some, yeah, we did some bullshit rich because we're crap. super tight best friends. We, <laughs> we found out in downtown Chicago, we that, thought we were meeting Craig McLaughlin, and, <laughs> and then we're, we're like, oh, we're like oh, I guess, all right. Uh, it was, and I think we, we've told the story on the show, but it's, it, it um, Kyle McLaughlin owns a winery in Washington or vineyard or I don't know the difference. Uh, and so he did like this wine thing where you go in and you pay like 200 bucks or whatever. And you get a fancy food like and wine. Pair, it's like a thing. six course meal and they pair different wines with each course or something like and that. And it was at whatever Joe's. Yeah. Joe's Crab Shack. Good. Joe's. Joe's <laughs> Joe's Crab Shack. Joe's Stone Crab downtown. Which is like a really ritzy, like Chicago steak and seafood house. Um, and so you could, you could see it was like Mikey and I were cosplaying as rich people. And I think we kind of blended in, but it was like three quarters, 40, 50 rich, 50 something rich people who do this shit all the time. Like we just drop money and we get these fancy meals and wine tastings or whatever. And then it was like people who were wearing like jean jackets with like Twin Peaks patches. Yeah. It was like owl cave yeah. t-shirts. <laughs> and we're like, oh, really? <laughs> and nice. Like, <laughs> we have to sh- tell him about what you asked Kyle to put on your. Uh, no, we so we so you had the option to buy bottles at the end of it too. So we bought a couple of bottles, um, and then he came around and was like, "Oh, I'll, I'll sign the bottles or anything. What's your name? Anything you want me to write or whatever." And at this point, we're a little drunk, so oh. at the like the very end of the night, <laughs> and I was like, "I don't care what you write as long as it's from the Flintstones." Because of course he played the evil Cliff Vanderclave, and, and then so he, he wrote, wrote something that Brachiosaurus, I think, is not even le- like ele- uh, legible. legible. And yeah, yeah, I see the Saurus. Like two mountain Twin Peaks thing at yeah. the bottom. And he wrote Coop. Yeah, he wrote it's so. Uh, yeah, huh. but but then I'm realizing in hindsight he was a little drunk too. Yeah, so it's all okay. He was very fun. He made fun of me for calling him Mr. McLaughlin, and I said I am polite. <laughs> you cannot tell me <laughs> yeah, otherwise. He, he was a good dude. I was. That yeah, was, that it was. was a fun night. It was a joy. Um, nice. Okay, well, Ross. First of all, thank you so much for joining yeah. us. I feel. I think this is the third time I've bullied you onto a podcast of mine. Um, so I always <laughs> appreciate your time. Um, where pleasure. can people find you? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, we're at MaximumFun.org. We're part of the family there. Also, OnoPodcast.com. And you can find us on Facebook, um, Facebook slash OnRack, O-N-R-A-C, and Twitter, OnoPodcast. Yeah, if you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, OnRack has a wildly long backlog, and they are all mm-hmm. absolute gems. There, there's some real good ones in there. So We, we uh, are well, a rabbit, rabbit hole you can fall down, yes. I'm... I'm floored that you still have things to like investigate. They have, I, I it's feel like mind blowing for a minute, like once a month I would text Ross things like, Oh, I found out this dumb thing. Do you want to investigate? And at one point on their show, they're like, we have like a four page Google doc of shit we're going to do. So oh, it's yeah. endless. Yeah. We will never, ever run out. Anything fun uh, come down the pike. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, yeah, well, pretty soon we're going to start our huge series on exorcisms and getting certified as exorcists. So that's, that's coming. Uh, we just had a really, really cool interview with two uh, former members of a uh, high high pressure group, um, mm -hmm. a.k.a. cult. Um, uh, there's this lady named Shakuntali Siberia. That's a really fun one. Just listening to two people who escaped that and kind of what was involved in getting them into it in the yeah. first place and getting out. Um, and right now I'm about to edit an episode about tea leaf readings. Ooh. You haven't done tea leaf readings yet? No, we haven't. I still, I know this was like right at the beginning, but I think my favorite is still when you went to see pet psychics and you borrowed like your coworker's dog. Yes. And <laughs> That's right. The psychic was like, you guys have a really strong bond and you're like, Yes, I do. I've never <laughs> met this dog before. Very much. We're best friends. <laughs> it was it was one of my favorites. Anyway, uh, Ross, thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, guys, thank you for joining us for another episode. And oh, I'm curious Michael. if you do decide to watch season three, uh, let us know. And if there's a particular episode or anything at some point where you want to jump back on okay. and talk about it. I love season three. I and I love talking about it. And I, I love the idea of somebody coming in fresh with, because it's weird, man. It's different. Ross, I, I feel like I, it'd I be up the rally. I think you'd yeah. enjoy it. So, okay. But, cool. right. If you want to talk again, we're here. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper at Twin Peaks Podcast for Regular People, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week. <laughs>